This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis, PayPal, and WineChain. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. Avery, I have a very important question for you. Ooh. Will you be buying a Louis Vuitton virtual trunk for $39,000? I think it's actually $41,000. I think it might have been 39,000 euros. Um, I would love to have one of those if the Louis Vuitton team wants to gift me one. Anish, Nelly, hit me up. I will happily send my ETH address. I really am excited about what Louis Vuitton kind of gave us a sneak peek to this week. Unfortunately, it is a little bit outside of my Avery budget. How about you, Sam? I probably will not be buying one. I wanted to get your thoughts, though, because this is a project that has ultimate status written on it. Not only is it 39,000 euro, but... You can't trade it. You can't sell it. It's a soul-bound token that is, once you buy it, it is yours. The trunk ownership gives you access to things in the future, including access to buy yet more things, which they're calling keys, which seem to be both digital and physical drops. Those, they have not said whether you can sell them or not. My assumption will be yes. But it really is this like ultimate status club membership, buy the trunk, get access to more things. What are your thoughts on the overlay of the Louis Vuitton audience that already is investing a lot with the idea of spending so much money on an object that you can't sell, you have to keep forever? I actually think that it's an interesting strategy from LVMH. Many of our listeners may or may not know that LVMH, which owns Louis Vuitton, of course, and Moet Hennessy, also owns Tiffany. And if you recall, Tiffany did a very limited edition NFT drop for $50,000 that sold out instantly. Right. The CryptoPunk one. With the CryptoPunks. Exactly. That was available for resale. And there was a little bit of trading activity. But due to the nature of how that NFT worked, you essentially could redeem it once for a custom CryptoPunks pendant. That's a you know very swaggy piece of jewelry. I've seen a few of them in real life. And it's definitely a status symbol IRL. With that said, I think that when... Tiffany's first announced the price point of their NFT, there was so much hubbub of like, this is crazy. It's way too high. The pricing is insane. And it was very polarizing. And a lot of people were saying, this is never going to sell out. Of course, it sold out instantly. It was a very limited supply. I believe it was 250. And this was received very differently. I think because they did a great job of seeding positive vibes by bringing the creators on a creator trip. And anyone who has spent a lot of time in marketing knows that influencer trips are the oldest trick in the book and we love them. You know, getting a bunch of influencers or creators or thought leaders excited about what you're building, getting their feedback and perspective and giving them a sneak peek before something goes live, ultimately often results in it being very positively received by those people who are key opinion leaders in their field. I think Louis Vuitton did that well with a few very vocal people in the space, you know, the Farouks, the Bettys, et cetera. And they, you know, the first sort of communication around it actually came out from those people as partners of Louis Vuitton. I think Josh Ong was another one. I believe they're called Via Guides. So they had a little bit of a creator network to support the launch of this. And I have seen very limited like backlash against the price, which is a stark contrast to what we saw around sort of the Tiffany's initial price, even though they're sort of roughly the same. 
I think from you know a scarcity and luxury perspective, clearly that's not something that most people can afford, including myself. But you know, for Louis Vuitton, that's the direction that makes sense for their brand. I like the fact that it's soulbound, actually, because I think that's something that we haven't seen enough of, and I think we're soon to see a lot more. What's happened this week with you know the allegations around unregistered securities is going to have a lot of brands in a place of not wanting to engage in anything that could potentially be perceived as speculative trading. And I think that's definitely going to be the move is we're going to see a lot more soulbound, a lot more only trading in certain sort of closed ecosystems or certain marketplaces as we sort of wait for clarity and regulation. And not to go on off a tangent here, but you know, Sam, we've talked about this before, where almost all of our partners at Vayner do not, you know, take any secondary royalty for exactly this reason. And I think that potentially was a factor in influencing Louis Vuitton to sort of go in this direction of soulbound is really wanting it to be for collectors of Louis Vuitton who want it not because they want the asset to appreciate in price, but because they value the status symbol of Louis Vuitton. I will also say that you know, 39,000 euros is way more expensive than their typical bags, which are like 2K price point is probably like a standard speedy or never full. So it's certainly a cut above. And I have to anticipate that it will be loaded with some utility that is both physical and digital. All right. I'm going to take the other side of this conversation and I'm going to take it for a couple of reasons, which is one, I wouldn't, you know, I love Farouk. I love Betty. I love Josh Ong. But I do think there is something interesting about trying to buy good vibes, right? I mean, LVMH, I will happily come to Paris whenever you want to bring me. I will be there in a second and I'm sure I will talk about it on Twitter. But the Deadfellas community, the Rug Radio community, all the different communities that Josh is involved with, I feel like it's using influencer tactics from 2009 right now and especially without disclosure of it. So yes, we are saying we are via guides, but like if hypothetically Josh is getting a $39,000 asset for doing this and a trip, he should be disclosing that, that this is a paid opportunity. And I think that's one area, I think because crypto has so much challenge in this sort of regulatory space and in terms of like, there is so much chilling going on. I think it's actually really important for our community leaders to be disclosing when they're being paid for this stuff and say, I'm happily being paid because I love the product, right? Don't take it if you're not. But I do think that there is something that I felt a little bit yesterday because I saw a bunch of folks we know all talking about this exact same thing. Clearly, they had all been brought there. I don't at all think that like everyone shouldn't get their hustle on and they should, and it's okay to do that. But I do think there is something wrong with not sort of talking about the fact that like this is an opportunity that you are incentivized to do for communities where a lot of folks are not always happy about the fact that sometimes community leaders, and again, I'm not saying the folks we mentioned are those people, but that there is a lot of extractive value that comes out of the community. And therefore, oh, we are now famous. We get these things. We may or may not be being paid. And we're talking about something that is such a high-end luxury product that creating FOMO for something of that value, I think there's something that feels a little off to me for it. Can I add a little bit of perspective there? Because I actually just checked this. And for one, of course, we know I'm an agency person and my lawyers are always on me about everything. You actually do need to disclose like legally when you're being paid for a promotion that this is how these things work. France just passed a law specifically on this actually this week. I'm not going to speak on behalf of all the creators because I have no idea who was paid, who wasn't. I want to give Josh Ong a shout out. He talks a little bit about it. He talks about the price. He talks about the fact that he's liked speaking with a LV Web3 team. It's clear they've been very thoughtful. And he also says this thread is sponsored. So he directly kind of calls that out, which I think is clear. And then, you know, now people know. And I like the name Via Guides. I think it's kind of cool. It's not surprising that these are sponsored and they should be very obviously labeled. That is my piece on it. 
The other thing is, and I think this is just something that I believe, and we've talked a lot about, the idea of future opportunity without outlining what future opportunity is, just by saying, hey, it's 39,000 euro, and you're going to get access to all of these things. You know, and we do this with our project. I feel like you guys do it with yours. I want explicitly to know that I'm getting a value. And right now, by saying you're going to have opportunities, at least the Tiffany's pendant, you got a pendant, right? And so you have this Tiffany's object, which is quite rare considering how many they made and every one of them is unique. I understand that that has a high price point. I think with this, where you're kind of saying you have a trunk and it's a digital asset and it may or may not be really valuable in the future and you can't even sell it. There's something there that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. And to both of our statements earlier, I don't think either of us are actually the audience for this. And they are going for a very different audience that probably the 39,000 euros doesn't matter that much to financially. And so I think that maybe, you know, this is just me speaking from this is so far out of my price range that I wouldn't get it in the first place. And I think if you had to like distill it down, though, that authentic community connection, whether it's bought or earned or whatever, I think that really matters when you're talking to an audience that is as small currently as sort of like the NFT collector audience. And I think that this, you know, I'll compare this to a luxury automaker who just dropped something today that like, honestly, I didn't even see until now. Credibility with the community is so key because like, yeah, those vibes really matter. Thought leaders really matter the same way they do if you're selling lipstick on TikTok, right? Like the right people have to be talking about what you're building. So I think that they did well in mobilizing that and clearly orchestrating that ahead. And I, you know, we don't officially work with them, but I can see that this is like a playbook that they're repeating across Hennessy, across Tiffany's, across now Louis Vuitton. And I think it's an adapted version of a very successful and clear playbook that, you know, companies have been using since the dawn of time. Yeah. And look, there is nobody better on the planet that understands setting high price values for aspiration than Bernard Arnault. So I think this is in his playbook. We should try to get Nelly to come on the pod. I think she's open to it. But I do think that we should explore it because I do think that they are playing from a different playbook than most folks in the space are. And we should acknowledge that. I agree. And I think, you know, look at the margins of LVMH. It's incredible. And creating digital first business models, like we're about to talk about with our friend Ashley from Roblox, is something I think every fashion brand, every brand needs to be thinking about. Absolutely. And then you mentioned it for a second. But I did want to get just your take on, you know, the regulatory framework in the U.S. changed a lot this week. Both Binance and Coinbase were targeted by the SEC, deciding whether or not they're illegally selling securities. It feels a little bit like there's been some punches thrown at the NFT and crypto world over the last couple of months that especially when there's a lot of other innovations to talk about, the Apple Vision Pro dropped this week, all the stuff happening in AI. You know, if I was a brand, I could understand the idea of like, maybe let's put this on pause for a little bit because there's other stuff going on. On the flip side, I think we all believe, right, just by the fact that we do this podcast, that this is a transformational technology that sort of reimagines this. So what is your kind of quick take on where the regulatory sort of approach stands in relation to brands who should or should not be building in the space? I would call it more an all-out war on crypto than NFTs necessarily. I think it's much more directed towards crypto and tokens. I think it's certainly not a good thing. And it's funny because we were talking about this a year ago, like, you know, we're on the FTX collapse. We like had a whole meeting with our clients. We had like a Zoom. We had a white paper. It was like a whole thing. And now we're like, oh, you know, another day in crypto. I think that it has been a really challenging lack of clarity. And Coinbase, you know, they've publicly shared that they've been seeking this clarity. I mean, they went public just about two years ago. And I think we're all sort of waiting for better clarification from the SEC. And I don't think that this means brands won't be in it. They want that clarity as well. And I think the direction of the sort of 
token allegations is not really that concerning for brands. It just means they're not going to participate and play in that sort of space. And I don't think it's the right thing to do for, you know, whether you're a CPG company or an apparel company to be leaning into a market that's like very heavily focused on speculative flipping. Like, I don't think that creates the right brand reputation. And I don't think it is sustainable from a business model perspective. So I think that kind of has completely cooled and we'll likely see more and more brands looking to build their own marketplaces to build products and assets that are explicitly not designed for speculators because they want to, of course, be well above the law if you're a publicly traded company. So while I think it's another you know, sort of blow and another challenge, I see that as more of an issue for crypto. I also do think it's important that oftentimes people will think that you must use crypto in order to use NFTs. I don't think that's actually the case. We saw this, of course, with Dot Swoosh. And I think we'll see more and more brands going that direction of USD, you know, making something that doesn't necessarily involve explicit use of crypto. All right. With that, we have Ashley McCollum, head of immersive media solutions at Roblox, coming up right after the break. Super excited to hear about this. I know you have been a Roblox stand for a while. You've talked about it to me and how important it is. And I've gone down that rabbit hole to try to learn more. And I'm very excited to talk to Ashley and understand what they're building around this new media network, as well as all the immersive experiences that brands are playing and whether or not Roblox is a metaverse. So we will get to that right after the break. Web3 offers budding opportunities for brands to create more value for their customers, engage fans, and build immersive community. But that doesn't come without its risks. Chainalysis helps Fortune 500 brands better understand and manage the risks in Web3 through proactive assessments, on-chain monitoring, investigations, training, and more, so that they can focus on building a roadmap for long-term growth. Learn more about how Chainalysis can help your company grow in Web3 at chainalysis.com slash gen C. Attention crypto holders, moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH, and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send, and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. NFTs may fade, but the technology lives on. Enter WineChain, the platform unleashing fine wines as an alternative asset class on the Polygon network. Top wineries mint rare cuvées as NFTs, ensuring value backed by physical bottles, tradable on a seamless peer-to-peer marketplace. Enjoy worry-free storage until you're ready to ship, at which point the NFT gets burned for added authenticity. Don't miss out on the perfect blend of wine passion and crypto benefits. Experience unmatched wine asset liquidity when you start your journey at winechain.co today. Ashley, I'm so excited to have you here with us on Generation C. Thank you for making the time. I'm so happy to be here, Avery. It's been so fun getting to know you and working with you and thrilled to just be here and chat. Well, Sam and I were brainstorming the leaders in all things like new media and Roblox, of course, is one you absolutely cannot ignore. Whether or not you directly classify that as Web3 or sort of future of the internet. So we're super excited to have you on today and have you share your insights, having you know, spent many years in the media world navigating 
many like web one, web two, web three eras. So can you start off by introducing yourself and sharing with the Gen C audience a little bit about Ashley? Yeah. Great to be here. I'll start with a crazy story. I'm going to try to keep it as tight as I can, but I grew up in South Carolina. I didn't know anyone in New York or in media. I knew I like wanted to do politics or media, something in that vein. And so I have this unearned confidence, which I've had since I was like a child. And so I flew myself to New York City, not knowing anyone. I was going to visit a friend who was interning. And in my head, it was logical that if I was going to be so close to the big media companies, I should be able to get a job. Like proximity to their buildings would inherently get me a job. So I stood outside the Today Show at a concert in the summer concert series, and I held up a sign that said, this Southern Belle wants to be NBC's next summer intern. And I got a job. (laughs) So people always ask me like, how do I get a job? Like the way you did. I'm like, do not do what I did. It's like super creepy now. Like don't stand outside people's buildings. Like, I don't know. But anyway, so that's how I got my start. So I started in like traditional TV news media. And then this little blog called BuzzFeed was growing. And uh, Ben Smith was hired to run their news division. And I just like, Loved it. I was at NBC for a few years and I had the choice between going to the New York Times or to go to BuzzFeed. And I made the choice to go to BuzzFeed against all my parents' wishes. And it was the most fun ever. I was like a super early employee. I started in 2012. I started in the newsroom as the first publicist and took on a million roles. I did everything from I was chief of staff to the CEO, Jonah Peretti, who's still there. And I most recently ran Tasty. I was the general manager of Tasty, which was like the hottest thing on Facebook for a minute. And it was just the most fun. I was almost there for eight years and really built the business from scratch with so many other amazing people. That's kind of where I got the bug of wanting to build things from scratch. I no longer really wanted to be like a cog in a wheel. And so the next thing on my list was I wanted to do Hollywood. I lived in LA, but I didn't really know much about Hollywood or TV or film or big fancy celebrities. And this really cool company, Westbrook, was on its way up, which is Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's independent studio. And they really value digital. So I got to go be a part of um, building the digital business there and doing amazing work with brands who wanted to be in the Hollywood space. We did a ton of cool Snapchat shows. We did VR shows for Meta. We did the, you guys may remember last summer, the Post Malone VR concert. And then we did the Shaq Cardi B concert. So we did just like a ton of cool stuff. And I was there for a while. And then I, I just like couldn't get away from Roblox. Roblox was like in my newsfeed. There were all these brands activating. And I just like got interested and curious about Roblox. And I started playing it (laughs) as a user. I would be like at my friend's birthday party. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like on Roblox. And I met Christina Wooten. She's like the OG. She's been there doing brand work for 10 years. And she said, we have crazy demand. We have crazy inbounds of brands wanting to be on the platform. We want to build an advertising function because essentially when your brand, when you came to build in Roblox, you kind of cross your fingers that people would show up. And so we were going to build kind of a first of its kind, best in class, immersive advertising division. And I was hooked. I was like, you have to hire me. And somehow I convinced her to hire me to run that division. And then now I've been here since January and it is by far the best job in advertising. Like I have no doubts that is the most fun, most interesting, exciting job in advertising right now. I want to give you a shout out, Ashley, because I know Ben called you unflappable in his book. And I think (laughs) there's no better adjective to describe you as unflappable and completely makes sense that you have been skating to where the puck is going across your career. And 
you know, these digital persistent spaces are not going anywhere. I love that you actually started your journey in Roblox as a user because I think that's so important. So many media executives actually don't know the platform where they actually spend their time. I was actually just on a call with someone who makes a headset and we were in it and their own team was like very unfamiliar with certain aspects of how the tool works. And I love companies where you're really like in it and the team who's working on it and building in it and selling in it can speak to the, like the intricacies and the details. And that's so true for the Roblox team. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a challenge in emerging technology is like usually the executives are older during their 30s or 40s or beyond. So old in their 30s. So old. <laughs> but I'm just saying they're not the demo that's actually using the platform. You know, I saw this in my career at Snapchat, like Snapchat was, you know, is still a, such a you know behemoth. And then, you know, like as they matured, their executive staff, their C-suite all, you know, became the big professional fancy executive staff who my hunch was they didn't really use Snapchat much, right? So I love learning about Roblox as a user. And I do think that Roblox employees and executives, like they do use the platform. And if you want to call it dog fooding or whatever you want to call it, but like we live what we say. So Ashley, I think just for our audience, not everyone may spend as much time as you or our kids do, but not our kids, by the way, but kids in general. Can you tell us a little bit just like the nuts and bolts of Roblox? How many people are using it daily? What's the demographic makeup of the audience? How are people using it? Just give us the kind of two minute on what Roblox is for someone who may not understand it. Yeah, I mean, high level, we really believe, and I think this is super in line with like your listeners on this podcast and YouTube, is that, you know, once in a generation, technology shifts to change how people communicate and how they connect with one another. And Roblox is that change, you know, the conversations of what is the metaverse and what does it mean to be living in these virtual worlds? Like Roblox delivers on that. Like we are doing that and we have proven that. And so our users are not just gaming. Our users are coming onto the platform to like literally hang out with their friends, much like maybe you or I, Avery, might like message on Instagram. They're spending two and a half hours a day on the platform which is incredible. And I still like, I don't think people understand that. That's more than Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram combined, their daily usage. So, you know, the shift is here. So we're like really clear about that and very focused on the future. In terms of the other like key stats, I would say we're over 66 million daily active users, which is up 22% year over year. We had like an amazing growth period, but that's just continued. Like some platforms you see petered off after, you know, the shutdown kind of pull back and we've continued to grow. We've had an amazing, we just had amazing Q1 earnings. And then, yeah, like it's truly immersive, right? Like that's the crazy thing. For a brand, it is the equivalent of walking into Disney World, right? You are immersed in the brand. It is not a 2D passive thing that you just flip on your phone, right? You like are inside the brand. It's like being inside a store, if you will. And so our users, you know, that's what gets them lit up. And then the other big thing, the big differentiator for Roblox is the avatar. And so when you log into Roblox, you're asked to build an avatar. It's like central to the platform. It makes the platform so focused on personal identity and authenticity, which a lot of people say, but we, I think we actually deliver on, you know, and we're seeing this generation of users, their virtual self is their real self. There is no like delineation between the two. We did a study that surveyed our users and 70% of this generation of Gen Z say that their virtual style influences their physical style. So Gucci is one great example of a fashion brand on Roblox that you guys may have heard about, but like to see that 
these fashion brands are on Roblox and it's influencing where you buy, where you spend your physical dollars, your money in the physical world. Pretty amazing. Those are some very real numbers. And I think people often wonder, oh, is the metaverse dead? I heard all this hype. And then there were people there and now there's not. And I you know, always encourage them to look at the Roblox earnings report and look at some of the other in-game and virtual world and immersive experience ecosystems that have millions of players simultaneously. But let's talk a little bit about the creator network at Roblox. I think the creator network is something that's so key to the sustained success of Roblox because it's not only brands and it's not something that Roblox is necessarily pushing yourselves. It's really the community around Roblox and it's a creator community who keeps this alive and develops these really exciting and engaging experiences. How many creators are there on the platform? What are they building? How do they benefit the ecosystem? How should people think about Roblox creators? Yeah, there are millions of creators on Roblox, like multiple millions, and they really drive the whole ecosystem, right? Like Roblox is not a game or a singular piece of IP. Roblox is a platform for immersive 3D experiences that are built by our community and built by the creators. So there's millions of active creators. That's why, you know, Roblox is really special in that way. One, it's totally driven by the community. The user-generated items, the virtual items are primarily driven and created by the community. When brands show up on the platform, they partner with the community. It is truly like we are living in this world where like if you show up on the platform in an inauthentic way and you don't show up with creators and with the community who built it, it doesn't go well for you. And so, yeah, the creators are definitely, they're the secret sauce, really. I was looking at some data about this and the number I read that there was 5 million of them, that they're building all types of things, everything from collectibles to worlds. And a fair amount of people are making money off of this. So could you talk a little bit also about kind of the monetization structure for creators? Because I think there's a lot of folks in our world, right, especially in the Web3 side who look and they say creators should get paid a lot more than the, the bits they get from an Instagram or a Facebook. So how do you guys allow creators to have successful businesses as entrepreneurs on Roblox? You know, our goal in all the ways we build products and tools is to drive monetization to our creators, whether it's a new product like Limiteds that we just rolled out, whether it's the work I'm doing with brands and advertising, like the core message and all of it and the core driving principle and all of it is about how do we help our creators and our developers monetize. We are building a platform that like anyone can monetize on. So that's really the goal here is that no matter if you're a small shop in you know, a small country or you're a big shop, you know, or you're an individual community developer, Roblox is a place where you can actually build your own business. You know, we're working towards that. We're not there today, but that's definitely like the mission from the company. So Ashley, I love the fact that creators are creating livelihoods around what's happening on Roblox. I think it's like a whole new career path. You know, you talk to kids 10 years ago and you talk to kids 20 years ago and maybe they were wanting to stand outside a building and make a sign that said they want to be a summer intern. And now they're just hopping on their computer and creating worlds in Roblox. And if they're good at it, they're getting compensated very fairly per sort of market demands. I wanted to get your perspective on Roblox Limiteds. This is one that I've used as an example when talking to a lot of our partners and even talking to a lot of sort of Web3 purist believers because you know it looks like an NFT, it smells like an NFT, but in fact, it's a Roblox Limited in terms of it's a digital item that you can own. And there's actually this potential for secondary resale that happens. Of course, it's happening on Roblox. And I actually think it's a really interesting example of a lot of the same principles that people espouse around NFTs that are, of course, happening in a closed, safe ecosystem like Roblox. Can you talk a little bit about Roblox Limiteds and how 
this is kind of like coming to life. I know right now, 10% cut of each secondary sale is going to the original creator, which is a massive sort of thing that attracted creators and builders into the world of NFTs and has now kind of been removed due to some changes in how marketplaces enforce that. But I'd love to hear your perspective on Limiteds. We rolled out Limiteds recently. And I think some core tenets of that product rollout is one, to allow creators to have control of their items and what they build. It also is to have some new product work done around scarcity and having our virtual items reflect the way items work in the physical world. And so those were the two areas that our team focused on. I didn't really work much on that, if I'm being super honest with you. I do know that over 50% of all limiteds in our marketplace are now community created. So we're seeing some really good early signs that this product update is powerful for the community and giving them control, giving them monetization opportunity, and really having our virtual marketplace reflect physical marketplaces. Let's switch a little bit to your world at Roblox. You know, we've already spoken to Angelique from Aloe Yoga. Shout out to her. I know they built a really cool experience within. We're going to have Dina Fierro from NARS and Shiseido coming on soon. I know they had an amazing experience. You mentioned Gucci, Nikes. I spent a lot of time in their world there. So like, how are brands, one, how are they thinking about utilizing Roblox as both a comms and experience platform? Two, the audience, you know, I remember talking to Dina and she mentioned the fact that one of the fastest growing segments was like, 17 to 24 year old women, which is why she was so interested in it. And so I would just like, you know, one, tell us a little bit about like what you and your group is doing to help onboard brands. But then two, what are the brands getting out of building in this space? So the brand partnerships team has been around for a while. I mean, brands have been activating on Roblox for over 10 years. So in a way, none of it is new. It's been a platform that brands have been welcome to activate on for a while. We just saw a huge uptick as the growth of the platform grew, obviously, as our users grew. One thing that you mentioned about the fastest growing segment, it's worth double-clicking on. I think a lot of folks think of Roblox as for kids. We used that language earlier in this. And, you know, Roblox is growing like crazy. And again, our 17 plus demo is quickly surpassing maybe what you might expect of Roblox. And so the company is not just growing in total size of audience, but particularly aging up. So I think that's one thing to know. And, you know, brands love that. They want to be able to reach a wide swath of folks on Roblox and not just the younger audience. Brands that are successful in Roblox, there's two real like, key ingredients. They look at Roblox as a new channel. So the ones who like bring their social team in and they are thinking about Roblox as a new way to communicate to their audience in a persistent way. It's not just a stunt. It's not just a way to get an ad age story. It's not just a way to get nominated for some award. The brands that show up and want to build community because they know they need to start connecting with this younger demographic now so they can earn the right to monetize, right? And we saw this in social. So if you showed up in social and immediately starting selling products, it was unlikely that you built like a real audience on that platform. So the same is true for Roblox. So showing up, building community, building a relationship with our users that gives you the right to monetize in the future. I think those brands who really have that long-term thinking are the ones who are successful. And then two, the brands who really partner with our community. So the ones who say, listen, we want to give the keys to the creators who help build this place. Those are the ones who really show up and who do a great job. And, you know, Allo, NARS, those are some of the best in class examples for sure. I love that. And Ashley, 
you know, in the Roblox study that y'all did recently with Parsons, three out of four people said that they would spend money in digital fashion. We just saw almost 100,000 digital Hour Force One sold through Nike. Digital fashion is here to stay. What are your thoughts on consumers and, and particularly Zalpha consumers valuing digital assets versus physical ones? Is it or? Is it and? How do you think about this? I think that you can't view them as two separate entities for this generation. I mean, they're digital fashion. Like we hear our users who every morning they wake up and change their avatar's outfit. Like you don't do that on Instagram. You don't do that on TikTok. You're not changing your photo, right? Like, you know, it's harder for us to like fully understand that because maybe we are not waking up and changing our avatar every day. Sam doesn't change his clothes every day. It's like every few. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is all I got. Yeah, Yeah. It's physical clothes. So I think that like we really view them as like the purchasing decision that a user makes, making a physical purchasing decision or virtual purchasing decision should be considered in the same funnel, if you will. To that point, though, I think because Roblox has proven our ability to build a marketplace and, you know, our users are transacting at such a you know high rate, I think that we have really an unfair advantage in building real world commerce around the platform as well, physical commerce. So I could see that, you know, the dream of the future state of Roblox, you could buy the digital Gucci item and then the physical Gucci item comes to your house, I think is maybe closer than we all predict. You know, it feels very possible and very real for us. Ashley, I want to ask you a two-part question and I want to challenge you a little bit. And granted, I am a much older than your 17 plus growing demographic. And I've spent a fair amount of time on, and I totally get the fun, right? Like I 100%, I jumped on a Vespa. I went to a grocery store. I bought Doritos. I did all the things. I earned some stuff in Aloe and Nike's world as well. So my first question is, I think that true experience for people who are going to spend a long time as you get older is going to be essential to think about what are the non-gaming activities that you can play. You guys have done movies, you've done fashion shows, but they all seem a little bit related to the launch, the premiere, the activity, the event. And so I've also spent multiple hours in something like VR chat, where I find people who are just, they live in places that they don't find people like themselves. And so they utilize these alternate worlds to actually create community and just talk and just hang. And so one, my question is, when you think of kind of the non-gaming activities, are there trends that you're seeing that are interesting to where people maybe are just spending time in more casual social situations? The second part of my question is when you think of kind of the way like the Matthew Balls have described metaverses, it's, is it persistent? Are there in-game currencies? Is there community? And then are there opportunities to take assets out? And so when we think of kind of a Web3 interoperable world, do you see just a potential for a future in which there isn't one Roblox metaverse? The Roblox metaverse is part of a series of these digitally augmented experiences where maybe your Robux could be used off-platform in a future state. So I guess what I want to know your thoughts on both kind of the non-gaming aspects, and then is there a future of interoperability coming? I'll answer the second one first. Interoperability, we view as functionality that happens with more mature tech. You know, we're not there yet. And there's many, many people who would love to take their Roblox avatar and move that around the web. But, you know, we're really focused on the platform and building our environment and making that the best environment possible. So I don't think we're there yet. I think that's in a more mature state, but I hear you. And then on the like non-gaming front, it's such a like great question 
because we actually view, I mean, my division, my team specifically, you know, there's a lot of games on Roblox. There's a lot of developers who focus on gaming on Roblox. Frankly, the brands who show up on Roblox are doing some of the best work to build new formats. So for example, Allo, the one we've spoken about, a big part of their experience was meditation. They had a whole meditation room you may have gone to. And they're teaching millions and millions of people how to meditate or like kind of enabling, empowering them to meditate for the first time. You know, there were maybe some gamification elements to that experience, but it was by no means a game. Gucci is another good example. Gucci Garden, definitely not a game. It was an expression of their spring fashion show. So it's a place to come see their new collection. You could buy. It was more like a shopping experience. It wasn't a gaming experience. Obviously, we know about concerts and other big music, things happening on the platform. I mean, here's a fun example. I heard this recently. There's 7,000 user-generated rooms that our users, our creators have made to just talk about the band BTS. Like, that's it. There's no game. Just a lot of posters and like feels like a bedroom. Like not even, you know, I don't even know if it even has that. It's just safe spaces that our users have built to get together. So that have no gamification elements at all. So our team in particular is very focused. Like if my boss, Christina, were on this, she would be like lighting up because this is like what we do in many ways. You know, beyond that, I would say that You know, we want Roblox to feel as personal to you and your avatar to feel as personal to you as possible. It is more likely that, you know, users of all ages can identify to the Roblox platform and spend time there and it'd be sticky when your avatar feels personal to you. And so there's a huge effort underway at the company around that. And so, you know, I think that the Roblox that you know of two years ago, or maybe that like your niece or nephew or your kids use, it's not really the Roblox of the future. And so we're in that transition and we're, you know, super excited. Like I can't share everything, but we're super excited about where we're going in a way that Roblox is certainly a platform for all ages. Excited about where Roblox is heading. So Ashley, I know vocabulary matters a lot when you're explaining this both to creators, to brands, to people who are coming onto the platform. How do you typically describe Roblox? Do you describe it as a metaverse? Do you describe it as spatial computing? Do you describe it as immersive experience? Would love to hear like what this sort of internal and official like sort of description for, I know it's not gaming, but what is it? (laughs) Thank you. We've trained you well. Roblox is an immersive platform where people communicate. So to simplify, I think, you know, one really natural, easy way to think of Roblox is an evolution of like the 2D social world. Now we are in a 3D immersive world where people, where our users are hanging out, getting together, playing together going to concerts together, whatever that is. Gaming is one element of that, but it's not the only thing they're doing on our platform. So Ashley, just to follow up on that, this week, we just saw the announcement of the Apple Vision Pro. Just interested in your take, since this is a space that you guys are existing in, was there stuff within that, without revealing if you guys have any other connections to Apple, that you know starts to also beg this future of this transitioning back and forth in between digital and physical spaces and how Roblox may play a role in that? You know, I can't speak on anything on the Roblox side because I'm certainly not privy to any connections into that space or the headset space. I will speak personally, having worked on VR projects for a couple of years, and man, is it hard to find an audience. Like, you know, I mean, there was like at one point we heard a rumor there was like 50 people who came to one of our projects we did. 
in a VR headset. Like that was my recollection, having worked in VR for like a year and not super deeply, but enough to be dangerous. Boy, it it seemed tough. And then to see that price tag come on the screen this week from Apple, I just, it reminded me how difficult it is to get people to use those expensive headsets and to really find an audience there. So that's a personal take, not a Roblox take. I can echo and confirm because I've seen the reports for different campaigns that have had maybe not 50 people total, but 50 people at a time for very well-known brands, very well-known influencers and creators. There's a very real barrier when you need to put a piece of complicated technology on your face and ultimately like engage with it. There's some people who really get it. And then there's a lot of normal people who are like, I'm just going to use my phone or, you know, or my computer. And I think the barrier to entry of Roblox is a very accessible. And that's the reason why you have 70 million people a day playing in it. Yeah, that's right. It's free to sign up. It's on your phone. It's super accessible. It's democratized. It's global. And so we have all those kind of like elements that you need for mass scale. And it's a very attractive place for a brand to reach mass audience and to do that with confidence. And then now, you know, my division, which Avery, as you know, is about building a paid media infrastructure on top of the platform. And so that allows us even more confidence that you're going to reach an audience and not just an audience, like the right audience, like the targeted audience that you want to reach. So yeah, I mean, Roblox is, it's apples and oranges, I think, compared to the VR folks. I think it's apples and oranges, but they're all in the same fruit basket is the way that I think about it. And I think a lot of the marketers who listen to our podcast and who are investing in Roblox are in charge of innovation. They're in charge of sort of the next frontier of consumer connection. So a lot of them are kind of balancing these things together. It's like, I'm thinking about my Roblox strategy. I'm thinking about my emerging channels. And should I be doing AR? Should I be doing VR? How invested in Web3 should I be? And I think a lot of times it's like the team who's sort of charged with being a little ahead of the pack. And I think what you're going to see in the next year or so is a wave of more mainstream marketers adopting what Roblox has through their immersive ads product, which actually I'd love to have you share a little bit about like sort of what that looks like and how Roblox is moving from sort of those innovation focused marketers to more of the the sort of traditional brand builders through this new product that you have. And you absolutely have to share the media metric because it's my favorite one. Well, first of all, we know that every brand will be on Roblox, right? I mean, yes, today you see the brave, innovative CMO who pushes their team or, you know, the scrappy social person who realizes this is the next iteration of social. Like, sure, that's like always the first movers in a new environment. In terms of immersive media, we are building a new type of immersive advertising offering. Even just saying immersive advertising is like, wild. When we introduce our advertising offering to traditional media buyers, one of our most popular and certainly uh, biggest priority ad product is called the Portal. The Portal is the ad product that is a programmatically served unit across Roblox. And no matter if you're you know, walking across any gamer experience, you can look up, we've been talking about Aloe, so I'll use Aloe as an example. You can look up see um, creative for Allo and be portaled to the Allo experience. It's just a very simple connected traffic device across Roblox. What's innovative about it is that it's truly immersive. It's not in your face. The user makes the choice to walk through the portal. They're not forced to. It's not a pre-roll. It's truly immersive in a 3D space. And then from a metrics perspective, we transact on the cost per teleport, CPT, So that's been really fun to roll out to the advertising market. And it's taking time to educate the market on it. But, you know, again, when you can show up, build, whether it's a virtual good 
integrate into an experience or game or build your own persistent experience. And then you can layer on that, that paid programmatic guaranteed traffic in a way that, you know, really hasn't been built before. I think it will make Roblox not just an innovation play, but a must buy. And that's what we're building. I mean, it sounds like these are sort of interactive billboards that are programmatically placed within different worlds within Roblox. And then there's a portal ad, you click on the portal ad, you're brought to, you know, I assume what's already been vetted as a safe space that a brand or a creator or whomever has built who wants to utilize the network. You don't go off platform to like a website. Great clarification. So it's not that you click the portal, your avatar makes the choice to walk through the portal. And it's like a door that you walk through and then that teleports you to the space of whoever bought that portal. But that's right. I mean, Roblox has, you know, I'm glad you brought up safety. Roblox from day one has been founded on safety and civility. And so, you know, me starting to build this advertising ecosystem, it was very clear that I was aligned with leadership, that advertising had to be safe on Roblox. And we had to prioritize brand safety and transparency on Roblox. And so we're in the middle of building a lot of that. So a lot of stuff I can't share yet, but I'm really proud that we're like starting our advertising business based on brand safety and, you know, our larger commitment to civility on the platform. So I know we wanted to talk with Ashley not about Roblox. So I want to go to Tasty for a second before we wrap up. Because for me, Tasty was that thing that like stopped people in its tracks, got them cooking. For anyone who doesn't remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, like Tasty was like an overhead, you're looking at hands and dishes and ingredients and watching people make stuff. And it felt like it created the joy of cooking in a very tangible and tactile way and like was everywhere for a minute. Now it feels like TikTok has taken on that mantle, but I feel personally that the quality of the recipes are not nearly as good. So what's your take on cooking in 2023 on social? Yeah, man, what a fun time to be a part of like Tasty's like rise. I mean, at one point, I remember we got like a some kind of report from our data science team and Tasty made up 46% of all food and beverage content on Facebook, like just this one page. And by the way, I don't think Facebook liked that too much. They decided after that to like democratize their algorithm in a way that like singular publishers couldn't take such a big piece of the pie. But it was super fun to build. But yeah, I mean, Tasty, you know, for me, looking back beyond just like building the business, like what kind of impact did Tasty have on culture and on media? Like, I can't really read a recipe. Like, I got to be honest, like I get the book, I get the cookbook. And I'm kind of like, I just want to see how they brown the butter. Like, I don't, how brown is the butter? <laughs> like, I need to see the video. And so I think our success long-term in culture was we really helped rewire people's brains to like be able to cook and need to cook with a video rather than just, you know, old school written form. I mean, listen, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think that that happened. Yeah. I mean, Tasty's like strength was also its weakness in that we cracked this amazing like format that like felt like totally unique to us. Turns out it was not unique to us. The beauty of the tasty top down, you know, hands and pans format was that it was like easy and you could feel like you could do it. You could cook it. And turns out everyone could also make that format, that video format. And so what would happen is that you're scrolling through your social feeds and you would watch a video and you're like, is that a tasty video? Or is that someone else? Is that taste made? Is that a creator? And so like, you know, you can't really own that format. And so the format popularized so quickly that I think like the impact that Tasty had in terms of a business, like we could only capture so much of that in that moment in time where we were the only player. And so, you know, it's a kind of a classic BuzzFeed story, actually, in the end. Did you specifically like hire people for the way their hands looked? 
No. Okay. No. <laughs> it was much more complex than that. I mean, that was also a misunderstood thing about Tasty was that it was much more scientific. It was a true equal mix of science and art when it came to making the content. A lot of people tried to knock off what we did and couldn't, and they couldn't quite figure out why, you know, really what was the alchemy of what made a video go viral. It wasn't as simple as it looked. It appeared very simple, but it wasn't as simple. And so, you know, we hired amazing video producers who were both artists and mad scientists who could like merge the two together. And, you know, ultimately where I think that brand has shifted, it started when I was there, but I think they've shifted there more now is uh, through the creator model. You know, I mean, creators, to me, lifestyle media is creators now. Like you don't really need to follow a specific brand. Maybe, you know, that helps out. But I just think creators have kind of eaten up that ecosystem. And so Tasty, I think, has adapted to kind of having their format, but really they're kind of merging that with their creator strategy. Amazing. Ashley, if you were giving brands guidance as they navigate their Web3 priorities, their innovation priorities, what would you recommend they consider as they're sort of mapping out the landscape and back half of 2023, 2024? What are your words of wisdom? I think that 2023 is a tough economic year, right? I mean, CMOs are getting hammered. No one's getting promoted because their like sales went up as a result of their marketing or very few people are. I think it's a real opportunity to like push for change and to like innovate when in tough times is your moment to do something new and is your moment to break through. And so, you know, some of the best companies are built out of recessions. I think some of the best strategies come out of really challenging economic environments. And so I think the brave marketers are the ones who can see through the day-to-day pain that they're facing in their businesses and be able to like really push forward and innovate in a new way. I would say that the biggest advice I would give more tactically is don't just do it for the headline, right? I mean, do it because you want to future-proof your business and like make your decisions based off of data and based off of where you think your business is going and audiences you believe your brand needs to connect with. I think that's great insight because so many brands, I think, especially in innovation, you know, they're like, hey, it costs us $300,000 to build the thing, but we got $10 million of media against it. And then we now move on and keep doing the same thing we're always doing, where it feels like if I'm reading what you're saying is on Roblox, you're really, I mean, one, 66 million people a day is just, there are not many places to get that many people. And then two, there, because you have multiple demographics there, you can bring people through a journey, depending on kind of where they are in their own relationship to the brand and sort of adapt that for them. But it's not about coming in for the quick hit. It's like, no, create repeated opportunities for them to have fun, engage, you know, don't oversell, make the experience the thing versus the purchase the thing and get them to a place where it really just enhances the emotional feeling with the brand. Yeah, that's all correct, Sam. And I would say that we don't actually see many brands do Roblox as a one and done. Like, frankly, like, I don't know if they get hooked (laughs) and maybe it's a combination of us doing a really good job. We really see brands who come in and like, in focus and invest and they show up and they stay. And so I think what we're seeing is again, building that community and building that audience is having bigger impacts on their brand. And we have a bunch of new research coming out and a lot of measurement that we're starting to implement on the platform. They're helping, you know, marketers really be able to like better measure their investment too, which is super critical. All this stuff is moving towards how does Roblox be a must buy for brands. Amazing. 
Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your insights on the ever-evolving media landscape, how brands are activating Roblox and how this can sort of fit within their overall digital first strategy. It's been great to have you on the pod and very excited to see what's next in the world of Roblox. And Ashley. And the world of Ashley. That's more importantly. I'll be here. (laughs) Thank you both. Yeah, thanks for spending time with us. Yeah, big fan. Thanks, guys. Avery, thank you for arranging for Ashley to come on the show. I know you and Vader have been exploring Roblox a lot. I'm sort of on that fence where like, I've watched my daughter play it. I've dove in when there's like a friend's doing a brand experience, but I don't, like I'm not a gamer in that way. So it was great to just hear how people are utilizing the platform and some fascinating stats. That was kind of the biggest thing for me. Absolutely. I mean, thank you for letting me push something that's not entirely Web3 native onto here that doesn't have crypto yet. I, you know, am incredibly impressed with what Roblox is building. And to me, like these immersive experiences and digital first business models are critical for brands of the future and whether or not they're on blockchain. Of course, we deeply believe in blockchain and we understand the importance of transparency and verification and think we can get there. But for now, a lot of the principles of what ultimately drive people into the NFT market, creator first, community first, I see a lot of those same principles reflected in Roblox in a much larger scale and with a much lower barrier to entry. So, you know, my POV is that these two things are more alike than they are different. It's almost like a spectrum of ownership. And I look forward to a world where Roblox is a little bit more interoperable. And I think we'll start to see that. I mean, you know, this is a hopeful case, but we've heard from major brands like Nike that they're starting to integrate their dot swoosh offering across different games. Like EA was the first announcement. And I know the person who's leading that effort actually also worked on building their world in Roblox. So I just think all of these things are in the same fruit basket to quote us from earlier. I think that they're all tangentially related and we're going to see some of these things kind of be complementary and not competitive in the future. So thank you for bearing with me, Sam. And Gen Z listeners, we'd love to hear if you like hearing things that are a little Web 2.5, Web 2, depending on how you define it. Look, I think you've been employing your influencer tactics on me and I'm looking at Web3 a lot more as connected consumer, but also as the empowered creator. And I think that this is a platform at 5 million creators that we can't ignore. And especially, you know, the percentages may not be the same that you make when you sell something in OpenSea, but they're also a lot better than a lot of the traditional social networks. Or Sam, are they more? If you're a creator who's getting 10% of a secondary sale in Roblox, like what are you getting on OpenSea? It depends what someone wants to pay you. Exactly. And so that's why I think this actually fits very hand in hand. You know, the one thing I would love to see in a product like this at some point, which, you know, she didn't commit one way or the other, but what is the idea that at some point there might be a play where you could either take an asset off or you can integrate into another game environment. I think that is a future that we are going to head to at some point. I just don't think there is room for one metaverse. I think in the end, it has to be multiple. I completely agree. The multiverse. The multiverse. And I also am sure that Roblox is top of Apple's list for you know ecosystem partners to engage with as they start to roll out Vision Pro. Yes, of course, Vision Pro is expensive. But I think you know actually living in that world of Roblox beyond just your phone is going to be something that's like really cool and people will probably really, really enjoy parentheses, the people who can afford it will really, really enjoy. I mean, the good news is if you price the Vision Pro in Bitcoin, it's like 0.11. Great. It's all good. So it's good for you. How many people have Bitcoin that want to buy a Vision Pro? I feel like whenever you price something in crypto, it always seems more reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Avery, why don't you wrap it up and we will get out of here. 
Yeah. Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We love doing this. Just this week, I was with a couple of folks and Carly Riley, actually, and Mags in Miami. A couple of folks from the Gen C fam there. So always come up, chat to us, share us your thoughts and insights, what you like, what you don't like. And uh, we will see y'all next week. 